0: want to address a question today that, that a lot of you are asking. And the question is, what's wrong in America? Now, let me qualify right off the bat that I'm not saying what's wrong with America. I'm saying what's wrong in America? America is still one of the greatest countries on the face of the earth, one of the most benevolent, one of the most, most helpful countries. Uh, we enjoy freedom like hardly anyone else in the world can, can imagine. But, but still, what's wrong in America? I mean, we're, we're seeing so many tragedies, these horrible shootings that, that have hap- happened just recently, going back to Sandy Hook and, and then Orlando, the Pulse nightclub, Las Vegas, right here a few weeks ago, uh, right here in our own backyard, Parkland, with the, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And, you know, you know we're asking ourselves, you know, what, what, what's wrong? What's wrong in America? What's going on here? I was at a breakfast with, a clergy breakfast with the officials of the city of Pembroke Pines just before I left to go out of town with the mayor and the vice mayor and the commission. They had called the clergy together to to pray and to to talk about what we can do to to help our community. And Vice Mayor Angelo Casillo shared with me a, a video that I was surprised to watch because it's a Harvard economics professor and Harvard is hardly the bastion for conservatism or for faith anymore. But, but he had some profound things to say.
1: Some time ago, I had a conversation with a Marxist economist from China. He was coming to the end of a Fulbright Fellowship here in Boston, and I asked him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected. And without any hesitation, he said, yeah. I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. The reason why democracy works, he said, is not because the government was designed to oversee what everybody does, but rather democracy works because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. And in your past, most Americans attended a church or a synagogue every week and they were taught there by people who they respected. My friend went on to say that Americans followed these rules because they had come to believe that they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. My Chinese friend heightened a vague but nagging concern I've harbored inside: that as religion loses its influence over the lives of Americans, what will happen to our democracy? Where are the institutions that are going to teach the next generation of Americans that they, too, need to voluntarily choose to obey the laws? Because if you take away religion, you can't hire enough police.
0: An amazing message coming from a liberal institution by an economics professor. But I think he really hits the nail right on the head in answering the question that we're posing today, what's wrong in America? This morning I'd like to just share with you a rather obscure Old Testament passage that I heard the great African-American pastor from Dallas, Texas, Dr. Tony Evans, speak on many, many years ago And it stuck with me because it was such an obscure passage. And yet I think the passage really has a lot to teach us in answering the question, what's wrong in America today? As we enter the biblical account in the Old Testament book of 2nd Chronicles chapter 15, we find Israel and what's known today as the Middle East in Utmost turmoil. It says in 2 Chronicles 15 verses 5 and 6, it says, In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another and one city by another. These were terrible times. I mean, nations are always at war. We're always going to have war, but cities were at war. They were crushing each other. The King James Version said that there was no peace when a person went out and there was no peace when a person came in. In other words, there wasn't peace anywhere. There wasn't peace in the nation. There wasn't peace in the cities. There wasn't peace in the home. There wasn't peace in the workplace. It just was a terrible, terrible time. And all of this wasn't happening by coincidence. For the end of verse six says this, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. This wasn't something that was just happening. This had a divine origin. God himself was troubling all the people. He was bringing distress in everyone's life. Now, why would God do such a thing like that? What would motivate him to bring that kind of distress on an entire region, not just one country, not just one city, not one individual, but an entire region of the world? Well, 2 Chronicles 15 goes on to tell us why. Verse three says, for a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. That is an amazing, profound verse in the Bible. It has so much to tell us. And I want to break it down, phrase by phrase, this morning. First, it says that they were without a true God. Now, it doesn't say they were without religion. It doesn't say they were without gods. There was plenty of gods around in that day. There were gods of gold, there were gods of silver, there were gods of brass, there were gods of stone, there were gods of wood. There was Baal God that they worshipped. The worship of Baal was was filled with sexual orientations and sexual orgies and all that. There was Moloch God. Moloch was a God where parents often would sacrifice their children live in the fire that, that was before his statue. There was gods, there was religion, there was plenty of it going around. The problem was, there was no true God. There was no one source of divine truth. And because there was no true God, because all the gods shared an equal status at that time, there was not a priest to teach. I mean, because there was no absolute, there was no divine truth. And so therefore, there was nothing to teach. And instead of a presence in the land saying, thus saith the true God, the people were exposed to a buffet of religious choices. So I'm going to have me a little God of gold here, and well, I'll have a little God of silver too, and I'll have me some Baal God, and I'll have me some Moloch God, and and I'll throw a little Jehovah God in there just to spice things up. See, there 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 was no true teaching. There was nothing true to teach. Because everyone was accepting everything from every religion. They were eating from this buffet of religion. And Mark it down. Whenever people choose their own religious values, they're always going to choose religious values that fit the kind of life they really want to live. The kind of values that feed their flesh, not their spirit, not their soul. And because that's what was happening, there was no true God. There was no true teaching because there was no true God. There was no law. People just did whatever they wanted to do. Now, there was civil law. If you murdered someone, you would still be arrested. You would still be executed for that. There there was civil law. What there wasn't was moral law. There was no divine law. There were not people who were living values higher than the ones they would choose for themselves to satisfy their own flesh. Now, what we see in this passage is a cause and effect relationship. Listen, whenever there's no true God, whenever people are free to choose whatever value system they wanna choose, Whenever the true God is pushed out of our communities, pushed out of our nations, pushed out of our schools, pushed out of our families, whenever God, the true God, is pushed away, it's going to create a vacuum where his presence was. It's going to create a hole. It's going to create a space And society is going to feel the absenteeism of a true God who has true values that are eternal. Now, mark this down. Whenever that vacuum presents itself, evil is always going to fill it. Evil is always gonna fill that space. It's always going to invade it. And that's exactly what was happening in the Middle East. What's funny is that whenever evil triumphs, people of faith always want to blame sinners. Oh, there goes those sinners again messing everything up. There they go. They have no faith. They have no all oh, those sinners. Oh, wait a minute. Why are we being hard on sinners? I mean, sinners do what sinners do, sinners sin. And so why are we upset when sinning sinners are doing what sinning sinners do and sinning sinners sin? So we shouldn't be upset when sinning sinners are sinning because that's what sin does. That's what they do. The sinning sinners, they sin. We shouldn't be upset and surprised by that. The problem is not that sinning sinners are sinning. The problem is that saints of God are looking more like the sinning sinners than the sinning sinners themselves. The problem is the saints of God start behaving more like the sinning sinners themselves. That's the problem. It's not the sinning sinners. Wasn't the case here. Look what it says in 2 Chronicles 15, the first part. For a long time, who? Israel. Israel was without a true God. Israel was without a teaching priest. Israel was without the law. Now, wait a minute. Don't forget this about Israel. Israel was established as a nation to be a unique nation among all the nations of the earth. God chose Abraham and Abraham's descendants to live such a unique relationship with God, Jehovah, that all the other nations of the earth would recognize that. They would see God's miraculous protection over Israel. They would see God's miraculous provision over Israel. They would see God's blessing on Israel. And when they saw how blessed and protected and taken care of Israel was by God, Jehovah, they'd look at Israel and say, I want me some of that God. But see, Israel stopped doing its job. There was no true God in Israel. There was not a teaching priest in Israel saying, thus saith the Lord. There were not people in Israel living the kind of godly life and values that God could bless. And so God had to bring about a course correction. Now the same is true today. Whenever saints stop doing their job, evil is going to triumph. Mark it down. Whenever saints stop doing their job, everyone around them is gonna suffer. Israel wasn't doing its job. And because Israel wasn't doing its job, God had to chastise Israel. And when God chastised Israel, his chastisement bled over into the other nations around Israel. And that's how it works. It's not the sinning sinner's fault. It's the sinning saint's fault. When I was a kid, I used to love to watch The Adventures of Superman. I loved Superman. I remember my older sister and I would sit down on the floor and we'd turn on our old black and white TV. We'd fix those rabbit ear antennas so we could get the best reception. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but a lot of you remember. We didn't have cable back in those days. We had three channels on TV if you could get them. We loved Superman, loved watching Superman. Now, Clark Kent, Superman's alter ego, Superman's hidden identity, Clark Kent was a bumbling idiot. He was thick glasses, and he was always walking around bumping into himself and bumping into everybody else, and he was late for meetings. And Clark Kent just couldn't find words to tell the love of his life, Lois Lane, how much he loved her and thought of her. He he was just a bumbling fool. But watch out if he found a phone booth. Because when he went into that phone booth, a transformation took place and those thick glasses came off and that suit and tie came off and he came out with a big S on his chest for Superman. Superman. And as Superman, he was faster than a bullet. He was more powerful than a speeding locomotive. He could jump over a building with a single bound. When Superman came out, the criminal element of Metropolis was in trouble. They didn't stand a chance. And I used to love it. I'd say to my sister, here he comes, look out. Oh, it was fun to watch him triumph. You know, when people Look at us here at the bridge. I don't say anything special. We're kind of like a bunch of Clark Kent's. We're trying to get through life. We don't have celebrities here in our church. In the eyes of the world, we're a bunch of Clark Kent's. Listen to me, watch out. Watch out if we enter a phone booth of fervent, righteous prayer. You, you, you watch out. If we get serious about our relationship with God and enter the phone booth of Bible study and Bible memorization, watch out when we get in touch with the Holy Spirit. Watch out when we start dedicating ourselves to the values that God has given us and living righteous lives. Because when all that starts happening in our life, a transformation takes place, just like the transformation over Clark Kent turning into Superman. And we are fed by the Holy Spirit. We are guided by the principles of God. We are filled with his presence. And we come out of that booth of prayer and Bible study and righteous living with a big S on our chest. And the S doesn't stand for Superman. It stands for super saints. And there's no end to what super saints can do when the power of God is in us. We can take back our communities. We can take back our cities and our country. Strengthening America starts with us. be blaming the sinning sinners for doing what sinning sinners do. They sin. See, they they need a model to follow. But see, when, when we become those super saints and we're living lives of righteousness, God is free to bless us. He's free to anoint us with his presence. And when others who are outside of faith, when those sinning sinners who are doing what sinning sinners do in sin, when they see God's blessing in our life, when they see God's presence in our life, ultimately hardship's gonna come and they're gonna look and they're gonna say, I want me some of that God. And because we've been in the phone booth of prayer, because we've been in the phone booth of Bible study, because we've been in the phone booth of righteous living, we have something eternal to offer them. 2 Chronicles says it again, chapter 7, verse 14. God inspires the author of 2 Chronicles to say this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Read it with me. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will, and will what? And will what? See, strengthening in America starts with us. Not with a political party not with a world philosophy it starts with people being willing to become super saints how my challenge to you this morning my challenge to myself is let's be super saints let's declare the true god Let's stand with Paul when he says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Let's be few to say there is one God. There is one way. Jesus is that way, John 14.6, when Jesus said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's never dip our colors on that. Let's not get bland about that. Let's not get wishy-washy about that. Let's say it with boldness and conviction with sensitivity and not in a condescending spirit but let's stand for the true God. Let's be who God has called us to be. Let's be a priest of God. First Peter 2.9 says, but you, now he's talking to believers. He's talking to you. He's talking to me right now. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. What an honor, huh? That's some honor. But the honor comes with a purpose. It goes on to say, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Listen, they don't want to hear it. But people need to hear what God's word has revealed. We need to be the priests of God. We need to fulfill our role and our purpose in this life. Because when we stop doing our job, it creates a vacuum. And when there's a vacuum of God's presence, evil is going to fill it. And that evil is going to bleed over on everything and everyone. We need to say it with love. We need to say it with respect. We need to say it with a sincere presence of caring. But we need to say, here's what God has revealed about this. Here's what God says about this. Here's what God's word tells us about this. See, we need to be teaching priests. Not just pastors. We are all the priesthood of God. When we leave here, we take God back into our workplaces. I can't go there. We take God back into our schools. I can't go to there. We take God back into our immediate and extended families. I'm not always invited there. See, we're the priesthood. God has empowered us. Scripture says that he has not given us a spirit of timidity. He has given us a spirit of power. We can do this. You can do this. But you gotta go to that phone booth of prayer. You gotta go to that phone booth of Bible study. You gotta go to that phone booth of righteous living. See, we need to live the law of God. God. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We're not even aware most of the time of how many people are watching us as believers because they're watching from a distance. At work, they're watching and say, I, I hear what you say. But will you live? Will you practice what you preach? I, I, I hear what you say about the presence of God in your life. But show me. Show me when the hard times come. Not in the good times when everyone is free to just thank God and praise God. You tell me, you show me when when the hard times hit that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. See, it's by our relationship, not our religion. Get rid of your religion. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And when we build that relationship we become God's super saints. God promises that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. God promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against his word. We just need to trust him and we need to live it. We need to be super saints. Again, we're not Christians because we follow a Christian religion. We are Christians because we have a relationship with Christ. And that relationship's not always what it should be. I'd love to stand here and tell you as your pastor that, man, I just I just live a perfect Christian life. I don't ever get mad, I don't ever honk my horn. I don't ever treat my wife insensitively. I I don't ever, I'd love to tell you that, but there are too many people to give you the truth. It's something we're all working on. Even Paul said, not that I have achieved this, but I keep pressing on, see? Now, some of us here this morning who are believers in Christ may have got distracted Maybe we 've got off the road, maybe we 've got off the path we 're not in the phone booth anymore. We need to get back in the phone booth of prayer. We need to get back in the phone booth of Bible study. We need to get back in the phone booth of righteous living. Well, the good news is that even sometimes we get distracted from doing god 's work. God never gets distracted from his love for us. First John one nine says If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Maybe that's a starting step that some of us need to take today. We just need to get real with God. When you say, you know, God, I got out of the phone booth. You know, God, I've stopped declaring the true God You know, God, I've ceased to fulfill my position as part of the royal priesthood. You know, God, I haven't been living that life that I should be living. Well, it's not by accident that you're here today. It's not by accident that God brought you here on this Sunday to hear this message because it's an opportunity for all of us so, right now, bow our heads and just come clean with God. Say, God, I feel your presence right now, and I, I know things aren't exactly what they need to be. And I want to confess it to you because if I confess it to you, you'll purify me, and that's all I want. Now, well, Christ followers are performing that time of self evaluation, self reflection. Maybe you're here today and you're not a saint of God at all. Now understand what we're talking about by being a saint. Being a saint of God has nothing to do with our behavior because none of us live the ideals of our faith to the fullest. None of us do. We're all working on it. Being a saint of God it's not about religion, it's not about how we live and our behavior, it's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 10:9, "If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved." That's how you become a saint. You become a saint by putting your faith in Jesus As the way, the truth, and the life. Putting your faith in Jesus' declaration that no one comes to the Father except through him. That's what we confess with our mouth. Jesus is Lord. No one else. Nothing else. And then believe in our heart what God has revealed to us about Jesus. That he died on the cross for our sins but that he was able to overcome the grave and overcome sin. Jesus rose triumphantly three days later and because he conquered sin and he conquered death and he conquered hell, Jesus now has been given authority by God the Father to forgive the sins of every human being who will call upon his name. Maybe you're here today and you've never done that. Well, it's no accident that you're here. God brought you here today to hear that message. God brought you here today to give you that gift. And that's exactly what it is, a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Can we bow our heads, everyone, please? Don't look around. I wonder if there's someone here today, particularly, who has never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And right now, you feel the presence of God urging you to do that. I won't embarrass you in any way. I just want to know whether that need is here or not. If I'm describing you right now, if I'm talking about you right now, would you acknowledge it by simply raising your hand and saying, Pastor Pete, God's speaking to me about my salvation. Yeah, I see your hand. Anyone else? You can put it down now. Anyone else? God's speaking to me. For you who raised your hand, God wants to give you that gift right now. And all you have to do to receive the gift is accept Jesus as your Savior. Through a simple prayer that might go like this, and you can use these words if you want. They're not magic. There's no incantation. I'm making them up. But but you might pray right now, God, I do believe that Jesus was your son. And I confess with my mouth right now, God, that Jesus is Lord. There is no other way to you. There is no other way to eternal life. There is no other way to forgiveness except Jesus. And I confess that with my mouth right now. And God, I believe in my heart as best as I understand it that Jesus died on the cross for sin, that Jesus shed his blood as a sin offering for the sins of all humanity. And that you, God, have given Jesus the authority to forgive sin. And so, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive my sin right now. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. Today, Jesus, be my Savior. Now, if you just humbled yourself in that way and you just prayed that prayer, Scripture says this to you in 1 John five thirteen: These things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. It's a gift. God gave it to you. Maybe you're here and God was speaking to you, but you weren't ready to respond. Well, before you go today at our resource booth, at our guest services booth, at our literature racks, there's a little blue book there. It's a little paperback, really thin, small book. It says, you can be sure pick up one of those books and take it with you when you leave today and read it. And it'll reveal to you what God has revealed through his word about the forgiveness of sin and eternal life with him. God, I thank you for this time together today. And God, I hope that our hearts have been rekindled for you. And God, that we get it. The hard times that we live in are because Our culture, our societies have been pushing you away, pushing you out of our schools, pushing you out of our public arenas, pushing you out of our families, and pushing you even out of our marriages. And whenever you're pushed away, there's a vacuum that is always going to be filled by evil. And the more evil presents itself, the more dire the consequences are going to be. Lord, help us to understand that strengthening America starts with strengthening the lives of believers. Lord, help us to surrender to be super saints today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.